This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. This is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if I can analyze the mental health and personality characteristics at work in the Justine Damon murder. So here as I analyze this case, I'm not diagnosing anybody, only speculating about what could be happening in a case like this. So first I'll take a look at the timeline of the crime, then provide my analysis of the thinking, behavior, personality, and facts at work in this case, and then I'll take a look at what I think the result of the trial should have been. So starting with the timeline, we see that this case starts on July 15th, 2017 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We see two 911 calls from 40-year-old Justine Ruzchek Damon. She was a 40-year-old dual citizen of the United States and Australia. The first 911 call came in at 11.27 p.m. Here she reported she was hearing a female yell behind her house and she was concerned for that person's safety. The second call came in eight minutes later and she just wanted to make sure the officers were on the way and that they had the address correctly. Responding to the 911 call, we see that there were two officers driving a Ford Explorer. I'll just refer to this as the police vehicle. We see in the driver's seat, 25-year-old Matthew Harity. And in the passenger seat of the vehicle, we see 31-year-old Somali-American police officer, Muhammad Noor. So he had about 21 months experience as an officer. Harity had about one year experience. So between them, they did not even have three years experience in policing. So these officers searched for the individual that Miss Damon reported, the one she thought that she heard, and they didn't really see anything, so they called the complaint in as clear, so the area was secure. They were parked in the alley behind Miss Damon's house when she approached the vehicle from the driver's side, so on the side where Matthew Harity was sitting. Noor fired his weapon one time across the police car, so the bullet traveled in front of his partner. It struck Miss Damon, and she would die about 20 minutes later. The officers both tried to administer first aid. Miss Damon was unarmed. She was just carrying her cell phone, and she was not wearing shoes. The reason this may be important is this idea that she was moving quietly, and she startled the officers. So we see here the story gets a little jumbled at this point as to why Noor actually fired. He didn't really say anything at the time on record. He invoked his right to avoid self-incrimination. Ostensibly, both Noor and his partner, Harity, heard something hit the car, like maybe a slapping of one's hand against one of the body panels. Harity heard some sort of murmur-type sound as well, and apparently he drew his weapon and pointed it toward the floor of the SUV. Noor claimed that he saw Miss Damon raise her arm and he believed his partner was in danger. Both of their body cameras were turned off until after the shooting. In March of 2018, Noor was charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter, and later we see the charge of second-degree murder was added. In April 2019, he was convicted of third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter, but was not convicted of the second-degree murder charge. He was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison and is now appealing 
that conviction and sentence. So now moving to the analysis. This is such a disturbing case in so many ways. There's so many problems here in the situation. Miss Damon was unarmed as she approached the SUV, and she was the one that called the police. There was absolutely no reason to shoot Miss Damon. There wasn't even a reason to suspect her of doing anything wrong. There was no reason to draw a weapon, no reason to point a weapon, and really no reason to be that alarmed. There was every reason to expect that Miss Damon would be there. Again, she's the one that called them. For all they knew, she was the victim. They should have expected that a female would have been approaching their car, given the nature of the call that they were responding to. They had every reason to communicate with Miss Damon. She probably just wanted to follow up on her own complaint. This was a routine call. How this could end with the death of an innocent person is really just beyond reason. It makes no sense. So how about this banging noise that the officers report that they heard on the side of the vehicle? Well, other than the testimony of Noor and Harity, there's no evidence that anything hit the car. Miss Damon's fingerprints were not anywhere on the vehicle. And again, she wasn't carrying any weapon, just her cell phone. The story of the sound on the vehicle is extremely suspect. For example, consider the testimony of Sergeant Shannon Barnett, who managed the scene after the fatal shooting. According to an interview that she was involved in with the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, Barnett recalled Harity telling her that Miss Damon had a stunned look on her face, then he heard a noise, and then Noor shot her. So that was the order, according to Harity. However, Barnett's story changed on the stand during the trial. She said that Harity did not tell her about a slap on the vehicle, but this was something that other officers had kind of put together as they were trying to figure out what may have startled Harity and Noor. Even if we were to believe that there was some noise involving the vehicle, how does that lead to shooting somebody? It may lead to being a little bit more alert. It may lead to wanting to investigate what caused the sound. It may even lead to driving away. I think that's a little extreme, but still, I could see how they maybe would have wanted to move their vehicle a little bit because they're a little bit worried about that sound. But again, even if the sound were real, they had no evidence that it was dangerous, and they had no evidence that Miss Damon caused that noise. It's not unusual for police officers to be startled when people come up and knock on the windows of their vehicles. This isn't as common nowadays with GPS and all the smartphones, but years ago, this was fairly common. People would approach a police officer's car or vehicle and knock on the window to ask for directions or something like that. And again, this would be startling. This would be frightening. But I don't recall any cases where a police officer shot somebody because that person knocked on the window. It's natural, of course, to be startled, but unreasonable to use deadly force. That's very different than being startled. Now, at trial, Noor said that he feared an ambush. The fear was, of course, beyond what the evidence supports. An ambush would have to involve some sort of force, like a weapon. Was he afraid that Miss Damon was going to punch the car with her bare hands or grab his partner and pull him out through the window? It just doesn't make any sense, given what he was seeing. Looking at Noor's testimony, we see that he believed his partner's firearm was stuck in the holster, like Harity was having trouble getting his weapon out. So Noor's intent was to stop the threat. But again, there was no threat. She was unarmed. He was asked why he didn't wait. He said if he were to have waited, his partner would have been dead. But again, dead from what? He could never identify any threat. Noor was actually the only one in the situation who posed a risk to anybody. 
by, of course, shooting and killing Miss Damon and by firing that bullet in front of his partner's face. So Noor testified that there was this loud bang on the vehicle, it scared him and his partner, and that he saw a woman at his partner's window raising her arm. He did not issue a verbal warning like stand back or show your hands. He did not attempt to identify Miss Damon. He had no idea who she was, and he did nothing to try to de-escalate what he believed was a serious situation. Under cross-examination, Noor admitted he could not see her hands. So even if somebody wanted to argue that the cell phone may have looked like a gun, and I've heard this argument before, he didn't even see the cell phone, right? He didn't see her hands at all. So he had no reason to believe that she was carrying a weapon, and of course she was not. Now he said in his testimony that action is better than reaction. If you're reacting, that means it's too late to protect yourself and you die. This is what he said. This makes no sense. He claimed he was reacting to a threat when he shot Miss Damon. And then we see he's trying to distinguish reacting from acting. So I don't really understand this as a defense strategy for him. I don't see how this helps him in any way. So what about the mental health and personality characteristics that could be at work here? So again, all I can do is look at the evidence I have available and speculate about a situation like this. In the moment, on the day of the shooting, we see signs of impulsivity, sensation-seeking, aggression, recklessness, and irresponsibility. Sometimes what happens with people who don't have a strong social network, if in fact he did not, is that they connect closely to people in a work environment. And this is particularly true in law enforcement, where there's already this tendency to group together. They tend to show favoritism for other police officers. Now, he claimed that he was acting in defense of his partner. So this is kind of consistent with that mentality, right? So to him, he had a strong social bond with his partner. He was afraid his partner was in danger. So this is why he acted, really overreacted is what he did. So some have speculated here that maybe he had antisocial personality disorder based on those characteristics I mentioned before, like impulsivity and aggression. Well, we don't have enough information to really support that because we're looking at one incident and we don't really have a good idea of his entire history of behavior. So yes, there were some signs that seemed to line up with that diagnosis, but that diagnosis requires more than somebody just manifesting those signs in the course of a few minutes. Now, in terms of his history, were there warning signs in this case? What do we know from the history? Was there something that could tell us that this was going to happen? Many times when I hear about these types of cases, Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. A lot of people say, well, these things just happen out of the blue. There's no way to know when something like this is going to happen. So essentially, it's nobody's fault except for the perpetrator who made the decision in the moment because there are no warning signs. Well, of course, most of the time there are warning signs, and this case is no exception. We see several warning signs that Noor might not be a competent or safe police officer. For example, two psychiatrists in a pre-hiring evaluation noted that Noor was unable to handle the stress of police work and had an unwillingness to deal with people. So, two pretty clear warning signs that he should not have become a police officer. We also see in one of these reports that Noor was more likely than other police candidates to become impatient with others over minor infractions, and he had more trouble getting along with others. He was more demanding, and he had a limited social support network. And I mentioned that before, how sometimes that happens. He also reported disliking other people and being around them. Because Noor exhibited no signs of a major mental illness, chemical dependence, or personality disorder, he was deemed psychiatrically fit for work as a cadet police officer. A civilian human resources employee followed up with one of the psychiatrists later on, looking into what he was trying to say in that report, and the psychiatrist stood by the recommendation. So the hiring authorities here knew about this mental health report, this assessment. One of the problems here is that there's an emphasis on whether somebody has a mental disorder or not. So the psychiatrist didn't identify an official mental disorder like we would see in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM. And that seems to have been really important, whether nor had an official diagnosis. So, of course, without this, he was moved through. But having or not having a mental disorder doesn't really tell us much about safety. The hiring authorities here got caught up on this point and didn't consider Noor's personality characteristics. Personality characteristics are a much better predictor of behavior that would be inconsistent with being a police officer. So one of the problems here is that the hiring authorities really didn't seem to understand mental health and personality characteristics and how they affect competence or potential competence. So again, we see that mental health professionals did issue a warning about Noor, and that warning was not heeded. But also, the training officers issued a warning. One training officer noted that on one of Norris' training shifts in 2016, he didn't want to take calls. Instead, he drove around in circles instead of answering the calls. The calls were really for simple matters, like a road hazard or a suspicious vehicle. But again, he didn't seem to want to respond to those. Another training officer said that Norris failed to follow up on a report of a possible burglar. So we see that not only did the mental health professionals send up red flags, so did the training officers, but there's actually more. We also see difficulties for Noor when he was on the job without close 
supervision. About two months before the shooting, we see that Noor conducted a traffic stop with a partner, and he drew his weapon and pointed it at the ground, but then he approached the driver of the car and pointed the gun at the driver's head. The reason for the traffic stop? The officer saw the driver make an obscene gesture toward a bicyclist and then pass a vehicle on the right without signaling. He cited the driver for failing to signal, and then he didn't show up to court, so the case was dismissed. So we see evidence from a variety of sources. The police department and other hiring officials simply didn't listen to anybody who warned them about Noor's behavior and personality characteristics. As bad as this all sounds, there's actually more blame to go around. There were 20 officers in this case who refused to cooperate with the investigation until they were forced to because they received a subpoena from a grand jury. But of course, by this time, they had plenty of opportunity to get their story straight. We see Sergeant Shannon Barnett. I mentioned her before. She was one of the 20 officers who would not cooperate. She was the first to investigate the shooting. She testified that she didn't tell a grand jury about her continued casual conversations with Officer Matthew Herity, who, of course, was a key witness in this case. Again, that was Noor's partner. We also see that during this investigation on the night of the shooting, Barnett had a body camera on, and it was recording, and she tells an approaching officer that she's on. She says the words, I'm on, this is Barnett, and then she switches off her body camera. She was asked to explain why she stopped recording, and she could not answer the question. She also turned her body camera off while talking to Noor, capturing just a short video of him with no audio. But that part was unintentional because of the way the camera was designed. She didn't know she was even recording the video. She testified that she did this, that she turned off the camera, because she believed that this was a private conversation. That is the term she actually used in her testimony, private conversation. Would a citizen involved in a shooting be afforded this privilege? If neither person here were police officers, would Barnett have come up and said, hey, we can just have a private conversation, I'll turn this body camera off? That doesn't make any sense. Instead of defending fellow officers, what about defending the public? What about the rights of Miss Damon? So as I mentioned before, a lot of disturbing information from this case. So what should have happened here, in my opinion? Like if it was up to me to decide the outcome of this trial and the sentence and everything, what would I decide? Well, first, I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. This would be a difficult decision, difficult case, but I will provide my opinion. Miss Damon was 100% innocent. She actually called the police in order to help someone who she believed was the victim of a crime. There was absolutely no reason she should have been shot. Officer Noor had absolutely no reason to be aggressive with her, much less use deadly force. Now, being afraid of a noise, if that noise even occurred, is not an excuse to kill somebody. It wasn't even enough to draw a weapon. So instead of Noor being convicted of third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter and being sentenced to 12 and a half years, I probably would have gone with second-degree murder and a sentence of 25 years. And that's because this killing was intentional. Now, it wasn't premeditated, so it wouldn't qualify for first-degree murder, but it does qualify for second-degree murder. This was an incredibly serious offense, and 12 and a half years just doesn't cut it in terms of the penalty. It was more than just the depraved heart or mind standard that we see in Minnesota for third-degree murder or the recklessness standard 
that we see for manslaughter in the second degree. The refusal to investigate this properly, especially that initial investigation, is unacceptable. Action should be taken here as well. I understand the desire of police officers to be loyal to one another. I understand why they back each other up. They have a dangerous job and they worry about threats, so it's important that they look out for one another. And again, I can appreciate that. But there's a difference between being supportive and breaking the law. It seems like in so many of these officer-involved shootings, the first officers on the scene are looking for reasons to believe the officer who used the weapon was justified, right? They're looking to find a way that the shooting made sense, that the officer was not guilty of a crime. Some other lessons learned here in this case in terms of hiring, take appropriate steps when seeing the warning signs. This case had clear warning signs, nor should have never been allowed to be a police officer. Listen to the mental health professionals and other qualified individuals. Additionally, don't try to interfere with investigations. Don't give witnesses time to collude with one another and get their stories straight. In terms of the body cameras, we see from the body camera footage that with a number of these officers, the body cameras were on and off, and they just chose when to do that, right? They just decided to turn them on and off as they wanted. Now, from what I understand, they weren't required to have these on. But I think the body cameras should be on all the time. They only serve a purpose when they're recording. Outside of that, they're just officers carrying extra weight around for no reason. The cameras need to be on. We need to move past this stage where it's just officers approaching the situations and then later on trying to recall what happened because they may be telling the truth or they may not be, whereas the cameras never lie. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S.